blind people also here, they have all the means and the resources, but still they often lack the empowerment, the self-confidence to say, okay, I can be independent, I can travel, I can take my life in my own hands and take my decisions. So as a first step, I'm thinking about organizing some kind of summer camps to have a um, possibility for blind children or blind teenagers to meet and do some crazy things they are not used to do. Stick Your Neck Out, the weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. As the sun comes down and the moon approaches, the sky comes alive. Once we head indoors, a new world of life wakes up and takes over. Fireflies, owls, and also bats. Bats are blind and equipped with extraordinary hearing abilities to orientate themselves and to fly. So they manage their way very well. My guest today started 2013 the project Bats in Action in Sobral, a town in the northeast of Brazil. Cantari alumni Anja Fafenzella. She realized how much blind people in Brazil are excluded from education and decided to get involved. She wanted the Brazilian blind kids to fly like bats, to manage their own way. After five years working in this rehabilitation program for the blind, since 2017 she's back in Germany. Currently, she works as a teacher at a school for the blind. Anja, it is a pleasure that you are here with us today. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thanks. In Sobral, disability is considered a great misfortune. Disabled children are often either overprotected or neglected. How do you know about the existence of this town? And most importantly, how did you realize this problematic you addressed? First time I came to Brazil, it was for a university program. I went to Fortaleza, which is a bigger city, to work as a language assistant to teach German. And in this time, I happened to meet several blind people. I even lived with a blind family and um, or with like a couple who are blind. And in this time, I just met many blind uh, visually impaired people and saw that, well, my life as a young woman at this time was just normal or as normal as it can be. But for many of those people, it was much more difficult to have an independent life. And so this was like my first contact with the, with the issue. Still in a bigger city. And only later, a few years later, when I came back to Brazil really to start my work, I was introduced to the city of Sobral by a colleague, a teacher. And she made it possible for me to meet the first plant children and get to know more about the reality there. I read somewhere that in this town, it was not even possible to imagine a blind person going along on the streets, right? Yes, it was really strange for people when I came for the first time and I walked around. Like I think I was looked at as um, someone from Mars or so. <laughs> so how was, uh, how was your life in Sobral? Could you describe for our listeners where you worked and how you perceived your environment, uh, the room you work with the kids? At the beginning, I did a itinerant work. So I visited students or kids or at their homes or at their schools. So this was really interesting because it made it possible for me to travel a lot in the city and in the surroundings and get to know a lot of different realities from 
big houses of quite rich people to small places in villages. And so it was really like I was able to get to know a lot of different ways of life. And of course, I got in touch with a lot of local people on the buses. And so where I tried to figure out how to reach certain places. So I usually traveled by myself, only with me and my white cane. <laughs> and I think people were so um, surprised of seeing me around there that it was just easy for them to talk to me and um, give me information. And quite often in these trips, I got to know about even more blind people. And sometimes I said, okay, I wanted to visit one, but I just visit two or three or four. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's also a nice experience. Which difficulties and successes did you encounter when founding this particular social project? I think it was for many blind children, but also adults and their families, it was the first time they were able to meet an adult blind person who is independent, who can um, master their life, her life alone and independently. And so it was like an eye-opener for many of those families of those kids in the first moment, like, wow, this is possible. And for some, it really was like a starting point to say, okay, if she can do it, I can do it too. I want to study. But of course, also in other situations, it was like, okay, no, she's from far away. We here don't need to have our blind child out there in the big wild world alone. For us, we want to protect our kid and we don't want it to be like her all alone out there. So yeah. they would rather close down and say, no, 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 not with our kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I wanted to ask you that. How is it? Do you have the feeling that it was difficult for you coming from Germany, trying to make a difference, trying to change the mindsets there? How do the people see you or saw you back then? At the beginning, they saw me very positively, they were, or many of them. They were like um, amazed and wow, and she's, she tries to help us. She came from so far to, to work with our kids, and that's amazing. And so this was the first reaction. But in many cases later, it became like, okay, they never said this. Brazilian people are very indirect and very polite and very friendly. But they, at some point, understood, okay, who am I to come and try to pursue them of something which maybe they don't feel like being right or being the objective of life? For me, independence is really important. For me, being able to make my own decisions and move alone by my, around by myself and do things without constantly depending on other people is like very very important but in brazil maybe for some people like the interdependence so on one depending on the other and um, the protecting the caring the family structures are more important so it's very different difficult to to get in there How was it for you? I mean, you coming from Germany with total different uh, social structures. And I mean, I, just to go into Brazil to, to say, okay, I'm going to try to change things here. How was it also for you? It's like, um, well, it was, first of all, I love Brazilian people. They are so open minded and I just love to chat to people, to talk to people. I find it frustrating in Germany to be five hours on the train and not talking to even one person. <laughs> <laughs> so I really like the 
the Brazilian way of life. And also this is something I, I really enjoyed. But of course, on the other hand, the last two years I lived in a rural area in the city of Ubajara. And it was a really small place. So sometimes I would leave the house at five o'clock in the evening to go to meet friends and walk like half an hour and go and meet friends and come back only at night or maybe even worse, only the next day. Oh. <gasps> so how can you walk alone at this time <laughs> of the night? And yeah, yeah that's impossible. <laughs> so for me as a German, is it just normal to do whatever I want at what time of the day and the night? This was really <laughs> frustrating. Because what's your business when I come and go? You told me that it's dangerous after six o'clock. So if I still decide to walk in the dark, I can't see it it's anyway. It's not your business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let's talk a little bit about bats in action. What was the idea? What do you plan to do? What do you wanted to achieve? I wanted to, my first um, target group really were children because I feel that children are still open to be, yeah, they just have um, the possibility to mold and to get ideas and they're not afraid and not scared and not so much with their fixed ideas. So my idea really was to work with children. In Brazil, children, blind children go to regular schools. So there's inclusive education but very often without any support structures. So my idea really was to find those children and to give them additional training in blindness skills. So writing and reading Braille, using a computer, math, English, um, some academic subjects, but also and mainly the special skills of mobility. So to walk by themselves with a white cane, and to make something in the kitchen, to make to put butter on the bread or to make a meal if they're um, older. And also the social part, because I feel many children are in schools, but then all the other children play in the break time, in the playground, and the blind child is seated somewhere alone. Yeah. And so to also to prepare those kids to say, hey, you can run, you can play, you can... You don't need to be scared and stay at your place. So this was my idea. So not to be a school, a proper school, but be more of a complementary program to the school system. Yeah, sounds awesome. Sounds really nice. Uh, which kind of equipment did you have to run the project? I mean, how do you get the equipment? And Because I guess you should need like, you know, tipping machines and, and so on. Well, um, This was a bit the advantage of being German and working in Brazil. Once a year, I came here to go for a um, presentation tour and talking to associations for the blind or sometimes churches or other um, foundations about my work. And this would help me to gather some funding for the project, but also some equipment. So sometimes I would bring a Braille typewriter in my bag or sometimes um, some white canes and so on. So usually my luggage would be full of stuff. But still, we, we try to work as low resource as possible because it doesn't make sense for the children to learn with very high-level equipment there yeah. and then not have it later. So most people learn to write, and to read, to write with a stylus, which is just like to 
uh, make holes in the paper with a okay. with a stylus. And mm -hmm. we sometimes we use bamboo canes. We just cut bamboo pieces, and this was perfect, eco-friendly, and low-cost white canes. <laughs> yeah, nice. Sounds great. I mean, everything you tell me uh, until now is beautiful. So as I can hear right now, and, and you also, my li dear listeners, um, you put a lot of energy in this empowering training center because it's not a school. It's actually a training center, what you, what you did for the blind in Brazil. And you had to close it due to external circumstances. Can we talk about what happened? I think it's a few things um, together. First, I think I made a mistake in choosing the venue, choosing the place. First, I was in Sobral, which was a bit... Bit, like a medium-sized city for German um, standards, like two, 300,000 inhabitants maybe. And um, there I had um, possibility to work. I had a classroom and so on. But somehow I couldn't find the support to register the NGO and to really get the structure on the ground. So I did the work, but I couldn't really get the association funded. Okay. I didn't know where to get in, where to start. I didn't know the right people and somehow it didn't work out. And then I met uh, a person and she introduced me to this rural area, um, like 200 kilometers away and mm -hmm. told me, well, let's do it there. And there we can get a house and we can, we have a lot of community support and can do a lot of things. And so we did some weekend activities there and started. And the people were amazing and so friendly and so helpful. And I thought, okay, great. Finally, I got some supporting structures and people who would do it with me. And I also needed the organization um, there um, officially because of my visa. I was on a volunteer visa and so I needed it re renewed. So it was also some external pressure. And so those people helped me to register the organization. We bought a small house. We renovated it and made it ready for the school. And already in these times, I noticed that sometimes we would buy, let's say, 100 stones and 80 came to us and 20 went somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so people were like, okay, we help you, but you also help us. Mm. And of course, this was not possible. I was accountable to my supporters and I couldn't tolerate this. So I tried to get more independent of those local leaders in the community and try to find other friends, other support, other people to help me. And also um, we were in the house. We had people living in the house, but also people visiting the project. So some spent the whole week and others just came for a few days. And often we were in the project at night, only blind people, me as the teacher, as the responsible person and like, let's say five to 10 blind children and adults. And so people would say, no, that, that's not possible. You can't take care of yourselves. You need the sighted person to be around. Oh, God. And I said, yeah. no, I don't. I, it's exactly this that I want to show to my students that we can make it. Yes, of course. And if we have to chase some frogs, so what? Then let's we do, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this was a bit too much for the, um, for many also parents to say, okay, she wants too much. She is too, radical maybe to want so much independence we have to take care and then also the people who at the beginning helped me when they noticed that they couldn't get anything out of it 
they tried to make my life difficult. And like there were some intrigues, people telling things about me to my students and to the parents. And so, so you really, you really experienced some bullying. Yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah. I was really at some point. I really was afraid to. Then I was really was afraid to go out alone. Yes, of course. Nothing of course. really happened to me. I never had any physical attacks or so, but it didn't feel safe anymore. And also, um, local people, some parents, some of those people decided to. We had elections for the board of the association, and they decided to have a board and run for the election. And I said, okay, I don't want a fight. I don't want a, a competition. So it was my goal at some point to hand the project over. So I have to do it earlier than expected. And so I, I decided to leave. Weren't you angry? Like, I mean... Of course, I was frustrated. I also was like, for me, it's like a failure. I, I, I It's my baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I know for some, of course, some personal mistakes, maybe sometimes if I would have been more like, say, okay, so yes, we have a sighted person around, so what? And if I was a bit, a bit more indulgent, maybe a bit more diplomatic, maybe also some cultural things. I'm quite direct, so I can say, okay, I think this is not a good idea. And they talk about the idea and not about the person. Anyways, if you are trying to teach the kids to be independent, I mean why you couldn't do this uh, this alone because they 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 need to learn that or to see that is that is possible yeah but uh, maybe sometimes i think maybe I, i would have needed to be a bit more culturally sensitive mm -hmm. and also really the choice of the place wasn't correct because the small place once i had the persons the, the the community i lost the community support there wasn't anything i could do so if i was in a bigger place in a bigger town or so um, well, I lost to part of one group. There are still lots of other people around who I can find and ask. <laughs> and what about the kids? I mean, the kids you were helping, what happened to them? Are you still in touch with them? There's one. She's my big um, pride. She is now 12 years old, and I know her since she's three. She spent from her three to nine years or eight years with us. And she comes from very difficult um, family background with, um, yeah, lots of family issues. And so, but her family understood that in Sobral, in the regular school, she's not able to, to learn what she needs to learn. So they decided to send her at a volunteer who spent some time at my, at our organization. And she um, kind of, Not really adopted, but she um, took her into her house. So now Williana is studying in, in Sao Paulo in a big blind school. Oh, beautiful. That's, and that's becoming nice. really, really learning. And she's great. <laughs> <laughs> and is there any successor? I mean, someone who took over? And what happened to the whole project? There is. There, there, there are people in charge, of course. The ones who from time to time had taken some of my stones and some of our materials and things are now in charge. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, I had a supporting organization here in Germany. And unfortunately, I couldn't propose them to continue supporting the project. Okay. Because I couldn't um, trust the, the accountability of um, the people in charge. And so now they're doing some community activities, some meetings, some workshops, some socializing, but not really school as such.
Okay. So back in Germany, you began to work in a school for the blind. Still, you keep thinking to get active here. Also, also in the area of empowerment for blind children. How are you planning to do that? Is there any ideas? Yeah, I'm really still at the beginning of this thing because I'm working full time. And I think at some point I need to work. I need to take care of my financial situation. Also, I've been working mm. as a volunteer the whole time in Brazil. And so I need to do something for my those stupid German things like retirement funds and so on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Health insurance, those whole um, annoying um, <laughs> needs we have here. <laughs> mm. um, so I really need to have a regular job, I guess, at the moment. But still, I have to I have to find a way, find the time um, to to do something because I feel the school routine we have so fixed structures here in Brazil, everything was possible. Things are in movement, yeah. things are open. It's possible to try and to fail. Here in Germany, it's impossible to try and to fail because people are just like so closed up. And oh yeah. no, it's all structured, it's all set up. Why do something new? It has to. <laughs> yeah, it has to be like that. <laughs> yes, and it could go wrong. What if it goes wrong? And what if the insurance tells us that it's not possible, it's too dangerous? And so... So yeah, those are a bit the challenges I'm I'm looking at. But at the at the other side, I see at my school and other places that blind people also here they have all the means and the resources, but still they often lack the empowerment, the self confidence to say, okay, I can be independent, I can travel, I can take my life in my own hands and take my decisions. So as a first step, I'm thinking about organizing some kind of summer camps okay, to have a um, possibility for blind children or blind teenagers to meet and do some crazy things they are not used to do. I imagine some, I don't know, some hiking or some <laughs> paragliding <laughs> or some canoeing or cool. climbing, whatever. Um, Sounds great. And also like to be in a in a house, so to be doing the cooking. And uh, if you try to put water in your glass and the glass um, and it's built, perfect. It's a good way to learn how to clean it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of the idea to um, to organize some some summer or holiday workshops, or I can imagine some city tours to gather a group of blind teenagers and organize a tour to Berlin or to Hamburg or wherever. And really have them organize it. Okay, let's find a place to stay. Let's find how to get from A to B. Because I noticed that often blind people are so used that people do take decisions for them. And they just need to like, okay, I take your hand and follow. And um, I think this would be like a great way to increase self-confidence and um, decision making. That sounds great. Let us know how it works. Let us know how you develop the idea. Anya, a description in the Kantari website about you reads, Blind herself, Anya has always been independent, worldly, and adventurous. And actually, after doing my research and talking to you right now, I just realized that it's right. Like, being blind from birth, you don't get that, get, get you down or limit your ideas, and you get it down. Where does this resilience come from? I think at one point it comes from my childhood, from my parents who never treated me as disabled or limited or so, but also said, okay, come on, you do it. Or just don't care, just do it. Yeah. 
it wasn't really because they wanted to get me as independent as possible, but just because they were young and had other things to take care of. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't really, um, I was never overprotected or um, limited. And this really helped my self-confidence. But I think also I earlier I went to a boarding school for the blind in Marburg, in Germany. And okay, that's the same one where Sabrio was. Exactly, right? yes. Ah, okay. Just a few years later. And there I really, I learned, I had a lot of opportunities to do different activities and to, we organized demonstrations, um, spoke to politicians and a lot of like critical thinking and stuff that happened um, in addition to normal school. And I think this all made me, yeah, just made me, prepared me for what I'm doing. And of course, it's also always a bit of a personality thing. I just get bored with routine, so I need some <laughs> different things from time <laughs> to time. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you come up with the idea to apply for Kantari? And what does this Kantari course meant to you? Wow. So... <laughs> <laughs> After my first um, stay in Brazil, this was 2006-7, I always had this thought in my background, okay, I would love to do something with those blind people in Brazil to help them to be more independent, to be more active. But I said, okay, that's impossible. I'm here in Germany. I have to work. I can't be just going away. And at some point, we had a, a students meet, a meeting at my former school, And one of the teachers told me about Sabria. And of course, I knew about Sabria and her work, but I said, okay, I, why me? I will never be accepted there. It's <laughs> impossible. <laughs> and he says, well, I think they're looking like for people like you, try. And so I had like three weeks or four until there was the first application deadline. And I quickly put something together and sent an application in, and I wasn't accepted. I said, okay, well, so, so be it. I said, it was not for me. <laughs> and I went to work in Vienna and uh, tried to. And the year after, I'm, by coincidence, I met one of the persons who was in, involved in the selection process. Ah, okay. And she told me, Anya, why don't you apply again? You had good chances last year. It just wasn't clear enough your ideas. It was too confused. Try again. And I was, okay. So I took the next plane to Brazil talked to a lot of people there and applied. And this time <laughs> I was accepted. And at my time, it still were 11 months in Kantari course. And it was really, it was an amazing time. I never had the feeling that there are no impossible or too crazy ideas just to be able to dream, to, to challenge one another, to think about even more ideas and to, to think what is possible and what can be changed and how it can be changed. So the interaction with all those Cantaris and with Paul and Sabria, this really was um, very, very inspiring and showed me, okay, I can do it. I can just leave Germany and go to another country and start something there. So I think this was like completely necessary for giving me the skills but also the self-confidence to to start this it's, it's great after this experience in Cantari you went back to to Brazil you did your project so I wanted to ask you about the topic of working with blind children 
what advice do you have for a regular education teacher who will have a blind student in his or her classroom? My advice would be, first of all, to treat this child as normal as possible. And first say, okay, first of all, it's a child. What the child wants to do, wants to play, wants to study. Sometimes maybe he's lazy, sometimes is naughty. And it's the <laughs> same for a blind child. And second, try to find a blind person or um, a special education teacher or resources on the internet really to get information because there's a lot to do to educate blind children. But you're, it's really necessary to get some get some edu some information. And and what about the parents? I mean, the fa parents, family members, are there things parents can do to help blind children to be able to fly like bats to manage their own way? Lots, 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 lots. Also the same to treat them as normal children to um, let them also get hurt sometimes, which is the the sighted child who never falls down and has a bloody knee. <laughs> that's part, that's normal, that happens. A blind kid sometimes will bump into a tree with a bike or um, fall down when running. And that's part of life. Other people will tell you, oh, don't do it. You don't take care of your child. And so this is really hard for parents to say, I am taking care, but I want my child to have this experience. Give the children as many things to touch, to feel, to get to know, to have experiences. Some kind of stick in the hand. It doesn't need to be a real cane. It can even be a wooden whatever. But this is really like the extended hand for even a very, very small blind child already to explore what's around. So Anya, how is it for you accompanying blind children on their way to independence? It's great to see that things can happen. It's great to see, I think it's like parents with their babies. When you see that a child does something for the first time. In Brazil, we had the big challenge to light, to light the, the stove. We had a stove with gas and you had to use a, a, a fire, how do you call them? A, a lighter. A lighter, a lighter sorry. Or yes, a lighter yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to get it on. And all yeah. the children and the adults were scared of this lighter and this fire. Yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> and so it was our big challenge to get this done for the first time. And it was all a, always a big part to do with the first teapot or whatever on the stove. <laughs> <laughs> so even now here at school, when I see that a child is able now to not ask me, oh, I need paper, but just to get up and get it for himself or... Um, find a way around. This is really rewarding. Thank you, Anya. Thanks for this wonderful talk, for sharing your experience and story with us. Thank you for the opportunity. It's great. And that's it for today. My guest today, Anya Pfaffenzella. You'll find the stories of the Cantari alumni and the Giraffe Heroes, the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. Another thing, if there is a friend, a family member, someone you know who is doing a great work in the community, someone sticking her, his, its neck out, just nominate this person as a Giraffe Hero or tell us about them come and visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. Next week, we are talking about OMLA. The One Million African Leaders Program intends to harness the positive energy of African youth. 
It also wants to help train a whole new generation of leaders across the continent. My guest, Cantari alumni Lawrence Afere, is a founding member of OMLA and also the founder of Springboard, a social enterprise that empowers small-scale farmers and rural women through a cooperative movement. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona, and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also YouTube. But more importantly, I hope you join us again next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. 